We at least should not be surprised if the world of the future is an inverse of the current one and its values that, that they value, we value on earth what is not valuable and discount that which is essential for eternal life and our, our future well-being and happiness. Well, in 9-11, anybody beyond a certain age remembers where they were on that date. And I was in Tillamook, pastor there, 2001, and my father, God rest his soul, lived in um, Agoura Hills, which is uh, a suburb in uh, of Los Angeles. And so he, like both of us, are watching the TV like any, I'm sure all of you were that were alive then. So he, my father was an agnostic, so which that, and that term means he believed in God, but he thought God was either irrelevant, indifferent, or not a good God because of the evil in the world. And, and it, you know, he, I could go into that, but, you know, he, he wasn't religious, so he wouldn't have picked, he doesn't pick up on, or did not pick up on religious things at all. I think if the Lord put his hand and waved at him, he wouldn't notice it, you know. So he just didn't go to church. But so, therefore, when I became a priest, there were pictures of me in a collar in every room. He, he no, no one could believe that I came, that I was part of the same family, so he got a kick out of that. And, and my stepbrother had a friend that was hanging around, he became the Archbishop of Lithuania, so that was another one. It's like, my father generated vocations. <laughs> I, 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 something about him made everybody run to the church, but it's true, it's true. it worked for me. Uh, but he, did, he was not into charitable giving at all. Uh, he just didn't believe in giving to others in terms of money. I'm talking about money. He was very tight with money. And I don't know what the reason for that was. You should see, I could tell you about the presents we received at Christmas, but I won't go into that. But he was, he, was, he was tight with money. He was a very good man, and I loved him very much, but he was not good in that area. So he calls me in the middle of all this. The first tower collapsed, and he gave me a call, and he said, Gary, i got to ask you a question. I said, what is it? He first asked me if I was watching TV, which, of course, was kind of a dumb question. Uh, and he said, uh, I just wrote a check. Uh, it was a four-figure check uh, uh, for the, uh, to the Fireman's Fund in New York. And I said, you're kidding. <laughs> I imagined, <laughs> this is the truth, I'm, I always picture, God, please help me, Lord, you know, you know, I don't mean it, but, you know, he knew what he was getting when he got me. I pictured the Trinity on a couch. They're having a glass of wine, and they said, look at this. Larry Zerr just wrote a check to the fireman. They all fell off the couch, you know. <laughs> this is about the extent of the shock. And he says, okay, wise guy, that's not what I called to tell you. <laughs> Although it was, it was juicy enough to hear just that alone. He said, no, um, and remember, he's not into, co I'm, I'm into coincidences. I don't believe in I, I see a lot of divine coincidences in life. I really do. But my dad, he was great with puns. If you know me, you know I'm a punster. Well, he, he, could, he could do puns on steroids, but he had to be drinking to do it, so I think I was better than him. But anyway, he, he joked around a lot. But he, he says, Gary, I wrote this check out. And then as soon as I finished writing the check, he had the check register open. And, you know, in every check, there's a check number, like, you know, like 1894, 1895, you know, that kind of thing. And so he said, the moment I finished writing the check, they flashed the estimated number of dead in the attacks, all, all of them so far. And that number on the TV exactly matched the number on the check after he wrote it. I see you picked up on it. Imagine somebody that's an agnostic 
he calls me, he says, he knew it wasn't a coincidence. There's the, there, that, if that isn't the grace of the Holy Spirit, I don't know what is. He knew that couldn't be an accident. And he calls me, his son, the priest. Uh, <laughs> my dad didn't call for advice very often. But he's, he called and he said, what do you think it means? I said, you know darn well what that means. It means that God saw your gift and he accepted it and wanted you to know how much he appreciated what you did. And I, looking back at that, I would call that an act of pure, unselfish love. And the reason, and you and I probably, we've all probably done this, it, it's a gift in which you're not going to see who's receiving it, or you're not going to be thanked. You're not going to get anything in return. There's no quid pro quo. You're not, you're not you give me something, I give you something. It's, you're not expecting any kind of reward except you know, the happiness we feel in giving. That, of course, we receive, and, and we know as Christians we're going to receive something in return. But uh, that's, it was just a pure act of love uh, and compassion and sympathy that we were all feeling that day, and he put his money where his mouth was. And it just, uh, it, that's an example, you know, and I, I remember that so-called non-coincidence coincidence because our Lord normally won't poke us and say, you know, thank you very much, but he's making it clear, this man here, this rich man, he's not being condemned for being rich. He's condemned because he never thought about anybody but himself. You can imagine Lazarus was a type, an individual of which there were innumerable Lazaruses in, in their society. There was no social net or anything like this, but the law did specify that when you're, remember the law was written for a nomadic tribe in the middle of the desert, but they wrote, Moses writes in there that you should always, when you're gleaning your fields, when you're, when you're farming later, make sure and don't leave some on the, on, the, on, the, on the vines or on the trees so that those wandering by can eat some of your fruit. Don't, don't pick it clean. So what they took that to mean is always put, leave your leftovers out and then people like Lazarus would come by and have something to eat leftovers. It doesn't sound very pleasant, but, but you know, and our sight is getting like that now to some extent. But this is, but this rich man did not do this. He didn't leave anything for Lazarus. He didn't care. Imagine him going out in his carriage. He probably pulled the curtains, surrounded by people who wouldn't tell him anything but what he wanted to hear. He's dressing in purple, the, a color that meant you, I'm uber wealthy because purple was very rare in, in, at the time of Christ. It was very hard to, to, to produce that color fine linen, but he didn't invest very well. I imagine that my father's gift was the best investment he ever made, you know? Imagine getting to the next world and finding God maybe be, may, might come to him as a fireman and say, thank you for what you did for me. Wait for it. It's going to happen to all of us, I think, you know, the things that we did, and we don't even know what it was. And so this this, uh, this, according to this story, the, the rich man dies, his life comes to an end, his investments, he, whatever he was investing in, it was worthless. It all went to these five greedy brothers of his. And Lazarus, of course, now suddenly everything flips. Well, if he'd been reading the scriptures and listening, if he'd been going to synagogue, most people except rich, only rich folk had a scroll. So maybe he and his brothers had a scroll, but they weren't reading it. But they would have known that justice is not done in this world, but in the next. 
but he didn't. And he's caught by surprise. And even in the place where he went, where he's in torment, he's in torment because he blew it. He blew his life. He's tormented by the, the thought that, that he had thought only of himself. And he was tormented because there was a place of paradise that would last forever. And he wasn't a bit interested in it. Of remorse and self-regret. But when he sees Lazarus, he thinks of Lazarus as a servant. Notice how even in torment, he says, have Lazarus come serve me. And notice that? Have Lazarus come serve me. He still doesn't get it. And that's why Abraham's gently point out, you know, he, you had it all in that brief world. He has it all in eternity. So we, we should not be surprised at the flip that's going to occur. So we want to be ready by making sure that we are charitable people, not only in money, but in our time. What the most valuable thing most of us run into is time. The prisoner last night, I won't say who it was, but I, they found themselves in ICU unconscious. And I, this has been two weeks of the once to call a day. I can go for weeks without one, and then suddenly you get one every day. Life can change. You know, health is a temporary condition. We better use it while we have it. That's what I think. And so, anyway, so he, the, it looks as though this rich man went to hell, doesn't it? But the scripture doesn't say where this is. There is a hell, but this man finally finds some compassion. He thinks of someone besides himself at the end of this. So it could be a kind of purgatory. You know, I, I, I'm, I am speculating here, but the church has not said one way or the other. Church fathers have been back and forth on this one. But the point is, he says, when he finds out that Lazarus is not going to serve him, I think that's when it finally sinks in that, that the roles are reversed. But he says, Abraham, can't you at least send Lazarus to warn my brothers? And Abraham says, well, what about that Torah scroll? What about synagogue? He says, oh, that old, that old Torah scroll, that's been sitting on the coffee table for decades. You're not going to open that thing. That Bible's been sitting on the, on the cupboard ever since you got it for a wedding gift, you know, that kind of thing. Every, all families used to have a ceremonial Bible. I don't know if do people still do that. I'll open it. That's, <laughs> anyway, but we, you know, we never opened that thing. But, I mean, I read the Bible, but not that one. Um, anyway, that was too much information. Um, <laughs> and it finishes with, even if someone comes back from the dead, they won't believe. And how many signs has God shown people and they don't believe? It's there, I, you could go on and on about how miraculous this world is and all kinds of inexplicable things. But, uh, you know, God is there. If we want to see him, we will. If we don't want to, we won't. It would have been very easy to miss that coincidence of the check number. But my dad caught it. And at that moment, he caught something. He got an insight about God, that God is watching everything we do. And not to condemn us, he doesn't want to do that, uh, that's something we do to ourselves if we never think of anyone else, but rather to reward that behavior so that we'll do more of it because that's what life's about. The greatest happiness is what we've done for somebody else. And so that's why when we're giving, you do charitable giving here, and then whatever St. Ed's does for others, we added it up a couple years ago. We, t we are, as a parish, we ourselves tithe about 10% when you add up all the, what, what, the outreach things that we do and so on. And, or we give to St. Vincent de Paul Society or the Gypsies the last couple years for Christmas. We're not going to see where that goes, but God does, and he's going to return it to us. 
and we're going to find out we made somebody else happy. And that makes us happy. Making myself happy is a loser in the end. It, we can't fill the hole in our hearts, but we can begin to fill it by thinking of Christ. Christ himself, and it's important to him because Christ himself is the definition of this. He himself is one pure, unselfish act of love. He gave his life so that we might be like him and live forever.